Well, good morning once again. Um, so we come to the end of our series um, on the fruit of the Spirit, and we talk about the last fruit of self-control. Um, if you were to ask what or how easily, easiestly to describe self-control, I think um, a great example would be um, by a psychologist named Walter Michel. And back in the 1960s and 70s, he worked at Stanford University on a research project called the Marshmallow Test. And probably at some point you have heard or seen reference to this test, but during this test they had researchers bring young children ages three to six into a room by themselves. And they set them down at a table, and in front of them they placed one single marshmallow. And they told them to resist eating it, and then they left the room for 15 minutes. And then they would come back in, and if they had resisted, they would give them an additional marshmallow. And over the course, you watch the video of these kids squirming around. And, and it's interesting, most of the people that walked away from this research looked and said, well, there was something um, inherently um, within each of these kids that resisted that was able to do this. But Walter said it wasn't really necessarily something that was inside them that they didn't learn, but it was something that could be taught and developed. And he taught them how to kind of reframe the scenario. And that was the whole point of the experiment from Walter's eyes, to sit them there and explain to them, if you will wait for the next 15 minutes and not eat this one marshmallow, when I come back into the room, I will give you two. And they help them sit back and stand back from the situation, look at the situation more holistically. And as they taught them, it seemed that more and more kids were able to exercise some amount of self-control because they learned how to reframe the situation and to look at it differently, not just simply from what they see right in front of them and what they want to do. Well, the word self-control in the Greek language is a Greek word that to me is fascinating. It's egratia. But the reason it's so fascinating is because if you break the word down and you really look at the root of the word, it's this Greek word krat, which means power, mastery, dominion, or lordship. And the prefix on the word is the word ego, which we know is self. So it's this idea of power, mastery, dominion, lordship over yourself. So basically, self-control is your ability to control your actions and your emotions. It's the ability to control both your actions and emotions. But then brings the question, well, why is self-control so important to us? And if you remember back earlier this summer, we did a series called A Word to the Wise. And we talked about the book of Proverbs, but the whole premise of the series was based on this idea. Over time, your ability or inability to make wise choices will directly affect the trajectory of your life. Over time, your ability or inability to make wise choices will directly affect the trajectory of your life. And so much of being able to exercise the choices that you make or, or to make good choices, good decisions, 
comes from this idea of self-control. And self-control for so many of us is hard in certain areas. I would imagine sitting here this morning, there are one or two areas of your life where it is difficult to exercise self-control. And I would imagine that most of them are not the same for the person sitting next to you. That self-control hits us differently in different places. So I'm going to invite Bennett and Ryan, if you could come up for just a moment. They're going to help me with something. Most of you remember going back to grade school. One, come stand over here. Going back to grade school and you had these nice ropes that caused rope burn and splinters and all kinds of fun. But grab one end and you grab the other end. And in this game of of tug-of-war, what happens is you have the red and you have a line on each side and the whole objective is to pull, we'll pull, We'll pull. We'll pull. I told him not to go real rough and hard. because. But you pull and you lean and it goes back and forth, right? And you see one side pulling and pulling and pulling and you see the other side pulling and pulling and pulling and winning and it's going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Self-control is really this tug of war between your present self and your future self. The present self who sees the desires and what's right in front of them. Those urges, those appetites, those temptations. And the self that we want to be and we believe Jesus is transforming us into and helping us become. In fact, we can maybe say it like this. Not just the present self and the future self, but the urgent and the important the urgent, the needs that we see, the self-gratification, the self-fulfillment, the, the wanting to give in to the temptations, to the trials, and then the important, the things we're really fixated on, that we're really striving towards, that we're really moving towards. Now pull a little bit and a little bit. Pull. Most of you live right here in the middle of this tension. Present self and the future self. The urgent and the important. And self-control will determine who wins the tug-of-war. Thank you, guys. I think one of the best examples of this in Scripture comes from two different stories. One is about a man named Joseph. And towards the end of Genesis, he has become basically the second in command over all of Egypt. And there is this moment where he is in his master's house, and Potiphar's wife approaches him. And she says, come to bed with me, because she had the hots for Joseph. And she throws herself at him. And in that moment, Joseph, it says, leaves his cloak in her hands and runs out of that place. Now think about about it from Joseph's perspective. What could have happened in that moment? 
No one's around. No one will ever know. What's the big deal? Why don't I go ahead and go through with it? She is practically throwing herself at me. My master has given, because you can rationalize it so easily. But then there is another story just a little bit later in the Bible, and it's about a guy named David. And he has become king over Israel, and things are going well, and Israel is experiencing this incredible growth, and he is up on his rooftop, and he sees a woman named Bathsheba bathing. And he sends some people to inquire about her. They come back, and they say, this is Bathsheba. This is Uriah's wife. This is someone who should be off limits to you. But yet David sins for her, sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant because of this affair. And then to make matters worse, David calls Uriah off of the front lines at battle and basically has him killed. And you see two people with very divergent paths because of their choice to control their desires and their temptations that they face. And so many times, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about faithfulness. So many times we say, what's the big deal? It's my sin. It only affects me. Tell that to Uriah. Think about the situation that David finds himself in. And think about all of the people that are affected by his sin. Because you have these guards, you have these um, helpers who go to inquire about Bathsheba, who have nothing to do with this, yet David draws them in, he brings them in. You have Bathsheba and all of the people who are surrounding her. And now she is pregnant, and then you bring Uriah in. And not only do you bring Uriah in to kill Uriah, but you also have these army officers and these other soldiers who are left on the battlefield without one of their soldiers because of what you have done. And then it doesn't even bring into the the fact, what if Uriah and Bathsheba had children? Think about, in the situation, just how far this sin stretches. Because your sin will never just affect you. Let me say that again. Your sin will never just affect you. It always has a reach beyond you. And what happens when we learn, we don't learn to exercise self-control? We see that a lack of self-control leads to the flesh out of control. And that's what Paul gets into in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. These acts of the flesh. Because a lack of self-control will always lead to the flesh out of control. And what are the acts of the flesh? Paul says these are obvious. 
sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So a lack of self-control leads to the flesh out of control. It's almost as if you just let a little bit in, and there's no telling where it stops. For, for David, you let a little sin in that's not really that big of a deal, and there's no telling how far it will reach. The writer in Proverbs says that like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. You remember back to the book of Nehemiah? The book of Nehemiah begins with the walls of Jerusalem broken down and the gates burned. And when Nehemiah sees what has happened to Jerusalem, it says that he sits down, he weeps and mourns and fasteth. Why does he do that? Because during this time, a city without walls is unprotected. And anything can come in, and anything can destroy you from the inside out. That the walls were so important. The same is true for you. We have to. And self-control, I think, is one of the greatest walls that we have that protects our heart. That protects our heart from the things that will come in and set up shop and begin to live there and grow there. I heard a scientist one time say that in one acorn, it contains an entire forest. One acorn contains an entire forest. It only takes time and water. With a little time and a little water, that one acorn will become an entire forest. It only takes one seed to get planted in our heart for sin to grow and for sin to spread and and for sin to really grab hold of our life and take control. And I think that's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses sin, but he doesn't just talk about the actions of sin. He really addresses the root of it. That if you're not careful, resentment will become murder. If you're not careful, envy will become paranoia. If you're not careful, rationalizing will become lying. If you're not careful, jealousy will become robbery. If you're not careful, lust will become adultery. And you see it in the life of David. These two divergent paths, Joseph who resists, who exercises self-control, even though it's going to cost him so much in the moment to say no. You see these incredibly divergent paths because of the choice they made. And I think it's so true that over time, your ability or inability to make wise choices will directly affect the trajectory of your life. And here in Galatians, especially the last four chapters, Paul talks about this part of ourselves he calls the flesh. The word in the Greek is sarx. 
this flesh that battles and wars against us. In verse 13 of chapter 5, he says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And this whole time, real quick, in this entire section, the reason he is talking about the fruits of the Spirit is because they directly affect your ability to have relationships with one another. That, that is the purpose of all of this, is if these fruits are not growing up in our life, then we cannot have this connection and this fellowship with one another. And so he says, rather than, than allowing the flesh to get out of control, allowing that freedom to take control and just doing whatever you want, he says, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Everything that was written, 613 laws in the, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, all with one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, relationship. Then he says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Again, connection, relationship, fellowship. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that, and going back to, to graduate school and Greek class, I remember so many times, professors, like whenever you see this phrase, so that, in your Bible, just circle it. This, independent, this subordinate clause that's going to follow is usually so, 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 so important. Why are they in conflict? Why are the flesh and the spirit in this tug-of-war match? Why are they going back and forth? So that you do not do whatever you want. Why are, why are they in conflict? Why does this tug-of-war go on, this internal tug-of-war? So that you don't do whatever you want. And then comes the question, well, what's the big deal we all have free will. We can, do, we can do whatever we want. Why shouldn't we? And Paul's whole point is it creates a world in chaos. Because at the very core, it breaks down relationship. What's important? Unity of the body and the spirit flowing and working in our lives. And if that's not there, it's because it's being broken down by everyone who's just doing what they want. That's what I feel like. I mean, and think about it today in our world. It, it's not a big deal if I click the, the, the mouse button. It, it's not a big deal if I check this out on the Internet. Do you realize studies say that around 60% of men today are addicted to pornography. That's a huge problem in our marriages. 
And I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I say it because it needs to be a wake-up call to us that we are susceptible to everything just like everyone else is. You came here today as a living, breathing person, and you are susceptible to sin. And it just takes a little bit to get into your life and to set up shop and begin to grow into something that is out of control. I can almost guarantee you, you don't find people in prison who are addicted to child pornography because they decided one day that they were going to start looking at child pornography. I can almost guarantee you that. It started as a small seed, and it might have been this very important tug-of-war that was going on back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and eventually the flesh starts to win out. Eventually the flesh starts to take control. Eventually the flesh starts to, to take consume and consume your life. And, and we can talk about it with debt. We can talk about it with eating disorders. We can talk about it with depression, that it always starts small. And our inclination is to think, it's no big deal. It only affects me. But what I promise you, I can guarantee you, it doesn't only affect you, that it gets into the lives of the people you love and care about the most. And so quickly, that sin is out of control. It is always a lack of self-control that leads to the flesh out of control. Ultimately, the sarks, the flesh that he talks about, is really the bent of the whole person to be the center of the universe. It's our desire to be God rather than to be under God. Ultimately, it's an infection of our imagination. It's an infection of our imagination because we lose the ability to see the possibility of something better than what we desire in the moment. We lose the ability to see beyond ourselves and our current circumstances and our current situations. And the regret sets in once you're on the other side. In that moment when you give in, when you lose the battle to the temptation, when that tug-of-war goes this way entirely and it's your present self, it's the urgent that wins the battle, I promise you in the moment there's not regret. But on the other side, we look back and we think, how did I get here? And at first, it's a small step and it's not that big of a deal. But over time, that seed, that acorn, grows and grows until it is completely out of control. Now, if you go anywhere and you read anything about self-control, it will always talk about willpower. 
How, how do we gain self-control? Willpower. And I think it might be the greatest misconception there is when we talk about self-control. Self-control does not come through appealing to ourselves. See, because it's possible. It's possible to get everything under control by getting your pride out of control. It's possible to get everything in your life under control by getting your pride out of control. But by making this all about you. Well, I just need to, to, to fix it. I just need to exercise self-control. I just need to use my strength and my ability and my willpower to do this. But what if it's not? What, what if it's not about willpower? What if it's really about Christ's power? Not, not my willpower to say no and resist, but what he is talking about here, what Paul says, is it's Christ's power within me. It, it's this battle between the flesh and the spirit, this tug of war. And the question is, who wins the day? Who wins the day? And maybe the bigger question is, how do we actually gain, if it's not about you, and it's not to say you're not a part of the equation and willpower doesn't play any part of it, but it's not the beginning point. Because like I said, it's possible to get everything under control by getting your pride out of control. In the short term, you will get by. In the long term, it will crush you. You want evidence? Look at our society. A society obsessed with fitness, with freedom, with violence, with addiction, but yet a society that can't seem to keep itself together. And I think the reason why is pride will disguise itself as self-control, and it will grow up from within. Pride will disguise itself as self-control, and it will grow up from within you. And so in Galatians verse 24, chapter 5, verse 24, he says this, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking and envying each other. There's this conflict, this battle, and they cannot coexist. It really is this tug of war. It's this back and forth. And he says that sin and the flesh have been crucified. We've put it to death to follow Christ. Does sin still creep into your life? Yes. Is it your master? No. And it takes an immense amount of self-control to resist temptation. But the crazy thing is what tempts you may never tempt me. And what tempts me may never be a temptation to you. And the problem is so many of the things we talk about are completely unseen. You walk in this morning and you talk to me 
and you don't know if I'm lying. You don't know if I'm struggling with lust. You don't know if I'm struggling with an addiction. And for so many of us, it seems like this battle that rages in our mind, really in our heart. This back and forth of trying to be enough, of trying to get our stuff together, of trying to come here and look the part. And where Paul begins, he says, really it begins with this death of the flesh because you're going to follow the Spirit. It's not about your willpower. It's about Christ's power. See, ultimately, ultimately self-control is your ability to choose the important over the urgent. What, what is the urgent? Let's just define it real quick. What is the urgent? It's the things that come at us every day. It's the temptations. It's the desires. And the reason I say the important and the urgent, because this is so much bigger than your ability to resist the bonbon and the Twinkie. Right? This is not just exercising self-control over the extra piece of dessert. This is so much deeper and so much more important than just simply that. Because this, at the core, is about who you are. It's about who you follow. It's about who has control of your life. It's about who is your master. And the flesh says it's you. Figure it out. Get the willpower. Get the strength. Get it under control. And what happens in that is our pride becomes something that's out of control. In Paul's reference, he says, no, no, no. It's not about getting your willpower. It's about letting go of your power. It's about submitting your life to Christ, allowing Him to be your master, allowing Him to control everything within you. See, the, the, the whole point of this series has been talking about things that are going to grow up within us. And we started this series with this tree. Not this tree, Matt's tree that I used the first week died. But this living tree that starts as a small acorn, a small seed, and is going to grow into something beautiful. It's not this Christmas tree where we just say, well, I want more self-control. I want more patience. I want more kindness, more gentleness. More. But it's something that as we root ourselves, we plant ourselves in Christ, that we begin to grow up into that it begins to take root in our life and become something beautiful as we go from here. But here's what I can tell you about the urgent and the important. If you don't define what is important, everyone else will line up to define it for you. If you do not define what the important is in your life. Everyone else will. And if you don't protect the important, 
I can promise you no one else will. So then the question, as we conclude, is how do we grow in self-control? How, how do we allow self-control and the urgent to not drown out the important? We go back to the marshmallow test, and we learn to reframe our world. And we learn to reframe our choices, to step back from them and look at the bigger picture. Here's a great reframing question. Ten years from now, dot, dot, dot. Ten years from now, dot, dot, dot. And it's those types of questions where we finish the statement that help you reframe. Ten years from now, what is it you want your spouse to say about you? Ten years from now, how do you want your kids to talk about you? See, this is how we begin to define the important. So number one, what is important? And if you will just get alone by yourself and ask these questions, I think it will help to reframe your world. What is important? What consumes the majority of your time, energy, and resources? What really matters most to you? Ten years from now, dot, dot, dot. Ten years from now, I, I want my kids to remember I was such a strict disciplinarian. I held everything over their heads, and I constantly got onto them and talked bad about them. Ten years from now, I want my wife to remember that I was completely consumed with my job and so tied up in it. said, no one ever. What, what do I want my kids to remember 10 years from now? That their, their dad loved them and cared for them and would do absolutely anything for them. What, what do I want my wife to know? That I was sold out and committed to her more than anything else in this world. That I was on her side and it was about us and making sure our relationship was strong and growing. That's what I want her to remember. What would I want the church to remember about me? I want, I want the church to remember that Gary tried his very best to walk in step with the Spirit and that he wasn't perfect, but he tried his very best to follow Jesus with his heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's those questions, if we can step back and ask those questions that help us to define, here is what is important. Second, is what you consider important aligned with your purpose? Is what you consider important aligned with your purpose? Why are you here? Why, why do you exist as a follower of Jesus? Why are you in your marriage? Why do you have children? How, how do you exist in your relationship with other people and within this church and in your job? Why are you here? What is your purpose? Is it about a bigger paycheck or is it about something much bigger in the kingdom of God coming to earth as it is in heaven? Three, identify what is important 
and prioritize it above the urgent. I said, if you don't define what is important and protect it, no one else will. And if you don't define what is important, everyone else will line up to tell you what is important. And I can almost promise you without fail, it will always be what is urgent to them. And what is urgent to them becomes what's important to you. And there is no quicker way to lose sight of our priorities and what we consider important. Schedule it. If it's important to you, schedule it. Put it in your phone on your calendar. Write it down, whatever you have to do. Every Thursday, I go to lunch with my wife. I write it on my calendar. And it has to be a a really special one-time event to take the place of that. Mainly, I just like to go out to eat. (laughs) Write it down. Schedule it. Don't let other things take the place of it. Your kids are important. Schedule time with them. Write it down. If you don't protect it, no one else will. And then share it with someone. Share it with your spouse. Share it with a friend. Have someone who helps keep you accountable. And then number four, start each day reading and in prayer, aligning the important with your purpose. Here's my purpose. Here's why I exist. Here's what is important to me. And we begin praying and reading from God's Word, trying to align the important with our purpose and why we're here. Self-control does not come as any of the other fruits of the Spirit as we've talked about. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control do not come unless we are intentional and pouring our life into Christ and allowing Him to grow up in us. Because Christ-likeness grows up in us so that Christ-likeness would flow out of us. So I wrote a prayer this last week thinking about the fruits of the Spirit and really reflecting over the last nine weeks. And I want to share that with you this morning as we close in prayer. In my moments of hate, fill me with love. In my moments of fear, fill me with courage. In my moments of apathy, fill me with passion. In my moments of exhaustion, give me rest. In my moments of anxiety, fill me with peace. In my moments of self-righteousness, fill me with humility. In my moments of pain, give me comfort. In my moments of sorrow, fill me with joy. In my moments of frustration, fill me with patience. In my moments of selfishness, fill me with generosity. Father, in the moments I want to give up, sell out, quit, walk away, find an easier path. Be the still, small, gentle voice that calls me forward. 
Father God, creator of heaven and earth, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of Israel, God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the true and living God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have mercy and hear our prayer. Father, today, we pray that you would fill us with your Spirit, that you would put to death the flesh that tries so hard to take control. And Father, remind us of what is important. And Father, help us to follow you and seek Jesus with all we have. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.